Thursday, 11th of February, 1858. St. Bernadette Subaru, a 14-year-old girl from a humble background. You sound ridiculous. No, you sound ridiculous. Okay, hello and welcome to the Light for Light podcast <laughs> with Daniel and... Brother Thomas Therese, OP. <laughs> That's become your catchphrase. So, welcome to another episode. We're talking today about miracles, or how have you titled it? Miracles do happen? Miracles still happen? Miracles do happen, yeah, or miracles still still happen. Both true. Yeah, veritas. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Uh, I can't remember. Why did we decide to do this? Because people are fascinated by miracles and whether they still happen, but they're also at the same time very sceptical about whether they, they can actually happen. I think that's the thing. Like, there, there can be a sort of an over uh, an over rational thing. It's not that rationalism is is a bad. Well, I suppose rationalism is the is an issue. It's not the fact of reason or uh, being rational that's that's the issue. It's the sort of rationalism that it sort of tries to exclude any idea of the divine or of miracles. Sometimes mm. you'll encounter people who will basically have a position that just that couldn't even possibly be miracles on a sort of de facto basis, right? Like there is no condition on which that they would accept uh, that there could be uh, such a thing as a miracle. I suppose you get the opposite side as well, that everything's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. A miracle, we should probably define what a miracle is. A miracle, uh, I mean, there are many different definitions of a miracle but it's an extraordinary sensible uh, sensible effect that's brought about by god that is not part of the natural order of things right okay. so what, it's something what does which sensible you mean? Uh, sensible, sensible meaning oh gosh you experience it through your senses so uh, you can see that someone who couldn't walk before can now walk again uh, someone who uh, was deaf can now hear again. We'll talk about some of the examples of miracles uh, later on, like people being cured of multiple cirrhosis, for example, and so all of these something things. Something physical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we are part of the physical world and the the created, the created order, with the exception, of course, of angels. I suppose we would see a physical, uh, a physical uh, change, uh, something which is. Uh, that we would attribute to God, to divine action, beyond the power of the natural order, and it's something extraordinary. It's something that we wouldn't expect to find. For example, somebody being cured of multiple sclerosis. Uh, multiple sclerosis is a debilitating condition uh, that is lifelong. It, it's not one of those things that just goes away, and it's untreatable. Now, if someone has uh, multiple sclerosis, and you see this debilitating uh, condition having an awful effect on somebody for many, many years in their life. And then all of a sudden, after an encounter in prayer or something, they have no signs of the of the multiple sclerosis again. That's the sort of thing that we would investigate as a miracle, right? It's, it's normally sudden and the effects are... Yeah, lasting. so it's something that's immediate, it's, it's something immediate. immediate. It's something that lasts for a long period of time, or should I say not just a long period of time, but is permanent uh, in the case of healing miracles, I mean. So there are other miracles that we might talk about. For example, Fatima, the miracle of the sun, 
uh, that's not a miracle that was permanent. It happened at a particular moment in time where the sun sort of flashed across the sky and went to all sorts of different colours and seemed like it was hurtling towards the earth, witnessed by tens of thousands of people who thought that the world was ending when they saw it. And it was seen over many, many miles uh, across Portugal. And um, But it stopped and the sun went back to its place in the sky, right? So it's not that the sun is still zigzagging around the sky and, uh, and uh, terrifying people. But in the case of healing miracles, there are very strict criteria that the church has set that should be uh, that should be met before something is declared to be miraculous. And there are certain investigations that take place that are medical. So you have like a physical medical uh, exploration. You have a psychological uh, examination. Uh, there's also a bureaucratic element. Uh, and I'll go into that a bit later. And then you, after all of those things, you'll have a, a theological investigation. Okay, so there are lots of people who claim miracles but i suppose the interesting question well interesting question for me is why do miracles happen why would they happen i suppose there's many different answers but one of the answers i found in the catechism i thought was very interesting it says that miracles are motives of credibility which show that faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind which i thought was really interesting yeah and as I was, I was looking up different things, there's lots of things you can search. What do miracles mean? Uh, what do miracles mean in the Catholic Church? And there's loads of very interesting definitions of what miracles are, like St. Thomas Aquinas's definition mm. of miracles. Could hardly understand it. But, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to admit, I don't know what his definition of miracles uh, is, but um, I'm inspired uh, to go away and check it up now. Well, you can, you can search it. Uh, but one of the things uh, I thought was very interesting, I read that Paul says that in in 1 Corinthians he gives the resurrection as the sign of credibility so a reason mm. to believe a sign that is reasonable to believe and I was thinking so in in daily life we look for motives of credibility so you mm. I suppose you as a student uh, you look to the lecturer's credibility so what would be a motive of mm. the lecturer's credibility probably their their study in order to give them an an expert opinion on the subject so too with miracles they're a motive of credibility in order to trust god I mean, it's it's really interesting actually uh talking about the resurrection i mean if somebody says you know i am <laughs> you know i am the second person of the treaty or someone says you know i am god and then they come back from the dead um i'd probably be inclined to believe them to be fair <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty slam dunk, isn't it? It's pretty slam yeah. dunk. But one of the examples I was thinking where Jesus uses a miracle as a sign of credibility is is with the healing of the man who's lowered through the roof. Mm-hmm. So when he's lowered through the roof, Jesus forgives his sins, and mm-hmm. people around uh, around him, the the crowd, they murmur that only God can forgive sins, mm. and then Jesus says so that you may know that the son of man has the right and power to forgive sins i say get up and take your mat so there is a miracle being used as a sign to trust to trust in 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 what jesus says really to trust in the person who said it i I think that's something that's so key actually faith is really key 
it's a good thing that we sort of stumbled upon that as much as we sort of mm. as much as we sort of laugh about the resur- uh, just laughed about the resurrection and sort of said oh well, you know if somebody came back from the dead you know and they said that they were god you know you'd probably believe them um it's uh, quite a, an important or, or an interesting question to ask why is it that those events all occurred when there was no such thing for example as television cameras and radio and you know instagram and youtube and everything you know why did jesus appear uh you know two thousand years ago in jerusalem and judea why not in america you know as it says in scripture god desires all people to be saved um why is it that he doesn't appear in america in america in hollywood go you know i don't know go through <laughs> death row you know and then uh, resurrect live on CNN, you know, or Fox News. Why is it that it doesn't happen then? And it's precisely because faith is important, that trusting God is vital. You know, that's how, uh, yeah, God desires us to, God desires us to have faith in him and to trust him and also trust the word of each other. So Thomas Aquinas, uh, following on from St. Paul, when he talks about faith, uh, he says that, you know, when we behold God as he is in heaven, we will no longer have faith because we will see him as he is. So, But at the moment, we do not see him as he is. And so we have faith in him and the things of him. And we have faith in the people who have handed on this message down to us. So it's a sort of it's. Also, that God wants us to trust each other and to trust his church as well. Um, yeah, so it, and that that really emphasizes the communal gathering and bringing together element. He desires us to to come together. Yes, I, I, I'm thinking of that, that story from the Gospels or that event from the Gospels where Jesus heals, heals this man uh, or he forgives him and heals him. And the people react in different ways. So you, it, there is an invitation there in in that miracle. It's not uh, there's no f- coercion. There's no force on the people to believe. They're not forced mm. to believe. But I mean, it's almost like it clears the way for for yeah. faith. It clears the way for an invitation of faith. And also uh, an interesting an interesting point. It, how does the paralytic man who can't walk? How does he get there to be lowered through the roof? his friends yeah his friends so he you know the fact that other people bring bring this man to uh bring this man to jesus is an important part of the story there is a communal element to our faith which is a good and salutary thing Mm. so when we're thinking about miracles so we can see miracles in or we read about them in the new testament especially in the public ministry of of jesus but what happens after that? <laughs> Do they still happen? You know, you're spot on. Like this, this I think is, this is a really good, a really good point, right? Do they still happen? This is one of the things that causes a lot of people to discredit the gospel, to discredit the miracle accounts of the gospel in Jesus because they think, oh, well, obviously it's unscientific, you know, and the fact that we don't see any miracles around now well, they didn't happen then either. They're just made up stories, right? 
but miracles do still happen. They uh-huh. do still happen now, right? Well, why haven't I heard of them? Why haven't I heard of them? Well, you know, go to Lords, you know, find out about the research, the miracles of, of Lords. You can find out a lot of stories about them online. There are a lot of books out there. You can even go and visit the medical bureau yourself and talk to the doctors who examine these miracles yourself. Um and uh, learn about the miracles that are taking place today. Now, there are not many uh, miracles uh, that are, or should I say, there are not many declared miracles because the church puts such strict criteria on what they will officially declare to be a miracle, right? So the church recognizes that there may be many, many more miracles which they don't officially put a rubber stamp on and say, yes, we believe this to be a miraculous cure mm. uh, so maybe we should talk a little bit about lords the context of lords and then go into some of the stories of the miracles themselves excellent yeah so lords is obviously a very important place for us and lords is a so well it's an important place for us because we've been on pilgrimage there several times and we can well, we talk about that another time uh but lords is situated in the south of france mm-hmm. and Oh, do you want to give a bit of background? You're very good on the background. Wait, on the border you were a tour of, guide. Border you were a tour guide when I, you <laughs> went on pilgrimage there. I mean, you were self-appointed. You a self-appointed yourself. tour guide, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I was absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> for, for, let's just add, for the whole diocese of Plymouth. Not just Plymouth. I mean, gosh, anyone Shrewsbury, who'd listen. Uh, <laughs> even, even the locals, yeah. even though they didn't understand what you were saying. But anyway, oh, self-appointed tour guide. So let's uh, let's give a tour guide to we'll, our listeners. <laughs> we'll give a very like we'll give a very uh, I'll give a very sort of brief account of of what happened in Lords, and we can have a separate episode on Saint Bernadette and the apparitions themselves and the message of Lords. And who knows, maybe one day when when we get the video and everything up and running, maybe we'll be able to go there and give you a guided tour on video. Um, anyway, if if any listeners want to uh, want to support that. <laughs> Get in touch. <laughs> Any listeners want to pay for us to go to Lords? Um, so there's. Uh, let me give you a bit of context, right? So this is 1858. So this is uh, after the uh, age of the Enlightenment. It's not that long after the French Revolution in 1789, uh, and during that time, religion, of course, was viewed as oppressive superstition, which is a view which has persisted in the minds of many people. Uh, that religion is something oppressive and something superstitious, something non-rational. Um, somebody actually said about uh, St. Bernadette and what, what she claimed was happening there. She said, do you not know uh, this is the 19th century? Um, <laughs> um, who who but said the, that? It, oh, someone who had heard. I can't remember now. Some, yeah, That's someone who claimed that she was uh, seeing the, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So... Mm. Um, the events of you hear 18... that now? This is this is the twenty first century. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those things do not happen now. But I mean, you well, must, people you say must that people... about all sorts of things. Yeah, you must have people saying that throughout the centuries. Anyway, continue. So, in uh, eighteen fifty eight, in <laughs> sorry, my mind just went black. So yeah, basically, like in eighteen fifty eight, there was a, a, in a, a small French town called Lourdes, which is on the border of between France and Spain in the foothills of the Pyrenees. Um, on the 11th of February, a 14-year-old girl from a very humble background uh, went with her sister and a friend to collect firewood, and her name was Bernadette Subaru. 
Whilst her sister and her friend went across the river, the river Garve, Bernadette heard a gust of wind and saw uh, what she describes as a beautiful lady, which is like sort of up in a in a niche in the sort of hollowed out cave. Uh, nobody else saw the lady, uh, Bernad but Bernadette felt compelled to go back. The lady didn't say anything the first time. She smiles, she makes the sign of the cross with her rosary and, and Bernadette does the same. And she says, you know, did you see the beautiful lady? Did you see the beautiful lady? And they said, didn't see anyone. Her, her sister and her friend say, didn't see anyone. And she asks them not to tell anyone. <laughs> they go back and Bernadette's sister says that Bernadette was, see Bernadette was seeing uh, this beautiful lady in the, in the grotto. And Bernadette's mum was like, what are you talking about, beautiful lady? You know, it's a rubbish tip. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's really funny about that is it reminds me of like every family life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where one sibling does something wrong and they tell her the other siblings. Shout yeah, Benedict was not happy. Sisters. She made her promise, like, promise me you're not going to tell mum, you know, that I saw this beautiful lady at the grotto. And Massa Biel, the first thing she says when she gets home. <laughs> Something similar she happened at have, Fatima. She uh, must have absolutely delighted with that. Mum, <laughs> Bernadette said. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they, um, she felt Bernadette felt compelled to go back to the place where she saw the lady. And uh, the lady asked her if she'd do her the honour of returning every day for two weeks. Over this time, speculation went round the town that she'd seen the Blessed Virgin Mary. Bernadette never actually said during this time that she saw the Blessed Virgin Mary. She just kept calling her the beautiful lady. And she said that she did not know who it was who she saw there. Lots of people said that she was mad, that she was making it up, but she stuck to her to, to her story. Uh, nobody else. So a crowd went with Bernadette down to the place of the apparitions over this period of time. And the crowd grew and grew and grew and grew in this, you know, post enlightenment period in France where religion was still treated as suspicious, where there'd been a separation of church and state, which was very acrimonious and painful, um, where there was a lot of suspicion and worry. But the crowd grew and went with Bernadette down to the to the grotto. But nobody else saw the lady in all of the 18 apparitions. During this time, uh, towards the end of the, the apparitions, Dr. Uh, Dessoux put a candle flame next to Bernadette's skin and saw that there was no damage or alteration to the skin. She didn't flinch, and this was in front of thousands of witnesses. Now I don't know about you. If somebody put a candle, somebody put a candle in front of my eyes and in my skin, I'd be like, "Get away from me!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was given uh, messages and secrets about her life by the lady, and given requests also. Uh, she said to Bernadette, "I do not promise you happiness in this life, but in the next." And eventually, the lady revealed herself to be the Immaculate Conception. She said, "I am the Immaculate Conception." in the local dialect, uh, not in a in the sort of posher uh, French at the time, but in the local dialect. And so it was revealed in the end to be the Blessed Mother, and then Bernadette obviously went around telling everyone it was the Immaculate Conception. We can talk about what the Immaculate Conception is another time. Bernadette, not wanting to mislead people, of course, didn't say up until that stage that she knew for certain who it was. Uh, she was also told to do penance for sinners. Uh, she was told to go and tell the priests to come here in procession to build a chapel here. The priest, uh, the local priest, Father Pei Ramel, was <laughs> uh, quite a formidable man, uh, sort of said, you know, who's going to pay for it? Have you got any money? Is the lady going to pay for the chapel? You know, what, who, who, does this who does this lady say she is, you know, wanting a chapel? 
Um, this, of course, is before she revealed herself to be the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> uh, she was also commanded to drink of the spring. Now, this is quite interesting because when she was told to drink of the spring, Bernadette turned towards the river. She thought that the lady was talking about the river. And the lady said, no, from the spring. And Bernadette goes and she starts burying at the ground. And people think she'd gone mad because there was no, there was no sign of a spring there. And um, slowly there became this sort of trickle of water. And over the next few days, this trickle of water eventually became quite a uh, decent spring. And if you go to Lourdes, you can still see the spring there. It's now protected. It's behind some glass. and But you can, you can take some water from the spring and um, people go in the baths at Lourdes and, and bathe in the, in, the, in the miraculous water. She uh, goes and she digs from the spring and she drinks from the water. So the spring itself is a miraculous find. Nobody knew that the that the spring was there. And there was a baby. So the first miracle of Lords that was a healing miracle, good good segue into the healing miracles, was that a baby who was close to death in the village was washed in the water and was healed. A baby who was close to death was washed in this water and was healed. And the family was ever since then grateful grateful to to god and to to bernadette for for saving the saving her baby this did of uh, uh, no i won't i won't go into into some of the suspicion that that that, that it caused the lady basically brought brought uh bernadette and her family i think some uh bread or something like that and uh then the, it was the suspicion went round that bernadette was doing these things to try and get gifts for her family but they rejected a lot of the gifts that that they were offered and yeah, I mean, she was, mm. yeah. Anyway, on to the miracles. <laughs> well, when I was researching uh, our subject today, uh, just to tie in everything that we said so far, uh, I, I came across a very interesting story. I don't know if you, you've heard of this, uh, but there's one particular healing. I'm not sure if it counts in the 70 miracles that have been attested to, but it, it's an interesting um, event. So there was this scientist in the early 20th century called Alexis Carrel and he grew up as a Catholic but then he rejected the Catholic faith and he didn't he became an agnostic but he's he was a world famous scientist and he won a Nobel Prize for his for his work he won a Nobel Prize a Nobel Prize yeah oh, for cool. his contribution to to science at the time there was lots of controversy about lords and there were many miracles being claimed and the French medical establishment was was really against lords so he, along with many other doctors, travelled to Lourdes to see what was going on there. But on his way there, he met a young girl who was travelling there with her family and friends. And she was called Marie, Marie Bailey. Is that my French accent? Marie Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Je suis désolé to all of my, uh, all of my French <laughs> friends tuning in from across the world. <laughs> this young girl uh, suffering severely from tuberculosis. And she was mm -hmm. close to death. And the doctors thought that she wouldn't even make the trip or survive the trip. But anyway, mm. they, they get to, she does survive the trip, they get to Lourdes and they pour water from the spring that you mentioned on her. And to the amazement of all the doctors, well, she's healed. And by the evening, then she's able to eat normally. She's able to, wow. to live normally. So this incredible story. Instantaneously. Instantaneous, yeah. But what, what I find fascinating about that is the effect that it has on this scientist what's so his name again he's called alexis carell 
but what's interesting is his reaction to this because the the story becomes quite well known and obviously he's a famous scientist so the story hits the press that he is present there this, had this, he already won his Nobel prize by this age oh, i'm not sure but it becomes well known that he was there and present so he gets asked his opinion on this and yeah. because he's like clinging to the truth like bernadette cling mm. cling into the truth of what what happened he can't deny, he what can't he deny saw. it but in saying in explaining what he saw he loses his career so he he leaves france and he goes well, he leaves europe and he goes to america and settles in america and i think this is this uh, speaks to our point earlier about the invitation to faith the invitation to trust he he doesn't become a, a, a he doesn't return to the practice of the faith until 20 or so years later when he's close to his death but wow i think this miracle so even is though like he saw sign. it and he knew what was happened it took a long time for him actually to come to terms with what had happened and yeah coming to terms he didn't deny it. it but at the same time as not denying what had happened he also wasn't comfortable enough to make that extra step to say i believe yeah i believe but, in the, in the this, Catholic this faith. is exactly what we were talking about earlier that all these witnesses of jesus's miracles and some of them still reject who Jesus is. They they don't trust in in what Jesus says. Yeah, and even and though they've seen, have, it. <laughs> even they've seen it, even though they've witnessed yeah. it. Okay, so we've got we've got a few minutes left. Do you want to go through some of the yeah? Some of these well, there are a couple of there miracles. are a couple of things that I I really want to point out first that, uh, about how the miracles are declared. Right, so in Lords itself. There is something called the Lord's Medical Bureau, which is made up of many, many different doctors. Did you say there was like 40 when you were, when you were yeah, looking at that? I, I read there were 40 or so, there, but maybe there are more. There are, there are very well respected in their field, and they are of all faiths and none. Some of them are hostile to Lords. Some of them uh, believe in miracles. Some of them don't. Some of them are Catholic. Some of them are not. There are people who are agnostic. There are people who are atheist. And they're not trying to prove that this is a miracle, right? They're actually trying to prove the opposite. So the doctors are investigating to find a physical cause, right? So they're not looking to declare something a miracle. They're looking to find a physical cause for what is what has been uh, declared. The, the criteria are that there must be medical evidence of the illness beforehand, so medical records, x-rays, blood tests, that sort of thing. Uh, it must be an incurable illness. The cure must be permanent and uh, definitive and total, right? So it must be a complete cure. It can't be a sort of, let's say it's a tumour, it can't be a reduction in a tumour. It must be that the tumour is completely gone and it must be permanently gone. And there must be no known physical cause. And they're just the criteria for the medical exams. There are also psychological exams that you have to have to make sure that this person is of, of sound mind. And uh, in terms of bureaucratic like tests, you have to make sure that the uh, medical records that the person is presenting when they say that they've had a long uh, standing incurable illness, you have to make sure, obviously, that those medical records are, in fact, their own and not somebody else's. Okay. Then after all of those things, you have the theological test when the medical bureau says uh, that we cannot find a known physical cause, they then hand that on to the bishop, who then tests whether the miracle is connected to lords and connected to prayer, and then they make a determination. And if the slightest 
if there's the slightest discrepancy, they do not declare it to be a miracle. So over 7,000 cases, over 7,000 cases have been examined by the Lord's Medical Bureau and by doctors throughout the ages, but only 70 have been declared miracles, just to show you how how severe the scrutiny is about these cases. So one of the cases I want to tell you about is Jean-Pierre Belly. He was cured in 1987 from multiple sclerosis, which is a lifelong debilitating medical condition for which there is no uh, known cure. He was in uh, full receipt of disability benefits. Uh, he hadn't walked since 1984. So the MS had got to a, a stage where he hadn't been able to walk for three years. And it took, well, after his healing, he could walk. But it took, the initial investigation was about six years long. And because they wanted to make sure that it was a definitive, a definitive cure, they made him wait another five to six years before the medical bureau would pass the case to the theologians and the bishops to, ex to examine the spiritual side. So that's something that struck me about it, is that they thought that six years wasn't enough to test this miracle, that they wanted to wait an extra five years. He actually almost abandoned the process because he said, you know, mm. it's taken forever and ever. And he went through four to five psych psychological examinations and he went through 200 medical tests. And this is just one miracle. Over the space of 12 years, he had 200 medical tests and saw four to five psychologists to and they analyzed the whole file they took the whole file went back over it at the end and scrutinized it again to find if they so why, could find anything with that? it why would what they sorry why would they be so scrupulous uh well to, to make sure that there's no uh, hoodwinking going on to make sure that it's credible to make sure that i mean at the end of the day for these doctors their reputation as doctors is also on the line right yeah if yeah. they miss something well just like um, alexis corral just like alexis corral yeah His reputation was the, on the line. there's a another miracle that uh i want to tell you about uh the 67th miracle anna uh santella i think her name was she had heart problems she couldn't breathe she had cytosis uh she couldn't walk right she couldn't walk um she was uh, her her miracle was recognized 50 years after her healing so for 50 years, uh, you know, this this was examined. Yeah, um, I, read, I read about this. She believed that the reason why she was healed was so that that way she could go back to Salerno in Italy, where she's from, and she could care for abandoned children, of which there were many in, in Salerno at the time. Wow. So, and that's another important thing about these miracles is that when, uh, in the case of Jean-Pierre Billy, when he, uh, he asked that, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think he asked for... No, sorry, I'm thinking of another miracle. There's another miracle much earlier on where he asks to be healed so that way he can care for his family and that he can he can um, uh, uh, work to, to, have put, to put bread on the table, basically. Uh, with Anna Santella, um, she is healed and she believes that the reason why she's been healed is so that way she can care for abandoned children uh, in the name of the, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So these mm. are just two examples. Two. Someone mm. who has MS, I mean, that really struck me. You know, I've met people with MS in Lourdes before. Uh, you know, I've worked in the hospital there. I've uh, worked in the baths there. And, you know, and you've seen, you know, w wandering around Lourdes and things. And you see uh, how severe a lot of these medical conditions 
can be and can become. I remember talking to a priest and he'd hear confessions there. He said one of the most beautiful things about the place was the conversions that yeah. happened there as well in, on, the, on the spiritual level. That's it, right? Jesus so isn't just a miracle worker. He wants yeah. your soul. <laughs> yeah, he wants you to be in right relationship with him. All right, so we're going to have to wrap up there. We could talk for hours about, about yeah. this subject. And maybe we will Look up the miracles of Lords, right? Yeah. But maybe we'll come back to talk about this subject in another in another way, the place of Lords. But let's wrap mm. up there. So we okay. look forward to our next episode. That's all right, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Bye. God bless.